understand everything about God, then he's not God. Because we're finite and God is infinite. We are not knowing all that good or stuff. And God is all knowing. And so we need to learn how to be obedient. I don't know why there was a graduation in the bull offering day by day. It's 13 one day. It's 12 the next day. It's 11 the next day. I don't know why it's in there. But the key for us is that we just need to simply obey. We need to say, God, You know better than me. Human nature causes us to try to take control of every situation. Even when God calls us to a task, we can find ourselves relying on what we can do to make it happen, rather than relying on God to open doors and provide support. Pastor Daniel's message today will remind us that we aren't God. He has the big picture in front of us. We can only see a finite portion of it. Trusting God is the best way and only way to bring about his plan. Now here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study, Offerings Revisited. The book of Ecclesiastes says that under heaven there's place for a time to rejoice and a time to mourn. There's a time for everything in life. And just as God gives place for celebration, God also gives place for lament. And in order for the joy to come with the morning, sometimes the sorrow has to last for the night. And Yom Kippur was a day of self-reflection. It was a day to look into your own hearts and say, and be honest about who you are and where you failed. It's an important idea because if you read Christian spirituality historically, there's a lot of writers who say before somebody can truly grow into the likeness of Christ, we have to come to terms with who we are. They would call that purgation. We don't use words like it's the purging of ourselves out of our own hearts. But really what it does, a day like Yom Kippur, a day of self-reflection where we afflict our souls. They would fast, you would do no work, you wouldn't eat, and you would take a personal inventory. You know what happens when you do that? You and I get humbled. When you and I are able to devote time in saying, you know, I failed at this, and I failed at this, and I made myself a promise that I was never going to do that again, and I did that all the time, and this and that. And literally, in the way Orthodox Jewish people practice Yom Kippur, they also go and call people and ask for forgiveness for the things that they did wrong. If any way they may have hurt them. I remember when I was a very young church planter in New Jersey. I was 25 years old, 26 years old, and I started studying the writings of the rabbis with some local rabbis and a guy who I met at the gym, actually. And I remember on Yom Kippur, he called me up on the phone and he said, he said, Daniel, my pastor, that's what you call me, his pastor. He said, I never thought I'd have a pastor, but you're my pastor. He's like, I want to ask for forgiveness. If there's anything that I've done that offended you or hurt you or dishonored you. And I was like, oh, Michael, I'm like, come on, bro. You're like one of the nicest guys I know. And he's like, well, no, seriously. It's like, if any way I offended you, I'm so sorry. I want to really honor the spirit of the Day of Atonement. 
When was the last time we did that? Because he didn't do anything. He never offended me. He never hurt me. But a lot of us have hurt a lot of people, haven't we? When was the last time we proactively just called someone and said, hey, I'm sorry you got hurt. I'm sorry if I did something wrong. See, if you read the book of Psalms, the song book of the children of Israel, it's not only praise and rejoicing songs, but there's a whole segment of it that is lament. Lament for what's going on in their society. Lament for the psalmist's own issues. And God wants us not only to have place for celebration, but to truly have place for self-reflection. When was the last time you took a personal inventory on how you're doing? How are you doing with being frustrated? How are you doing with being judgmental? How are you doing with being humble? What's the pride look like? Now listen, we all are in process. There's not one of us here who doesn't do things wrong. But what happens when you go to self-reflect is that oftentimes Satan wants to take the awareness of our fallenness and condemn us to drive us away from Jesus. That's the work of the enemy, to divide us from God because of our mistakes. But really, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to draw us closer to Jesus. Because when you realize that you are a sinner, we should flee into the arms of our Savior. See, Jesus came because God knows that we don't have it together. God knows that we are worse than we realize. But God loves us still. And we need to be able to be really honest about who we are. We're not fooling God. We might fool somebody else, but we're not fooling God. And for the children of Israel, they would have this one day, the most holy and solemn of days, where they would fast and they would do no work and they would self-reflect. They would afflict their souls. And we read about it in Leviticus 16 that at that point there is the one time that the high priest would go into the holy of holies after he sacrificed an animal to atone for his own sins. And then he would go in with the blood of the lamb to sacrifice or to atone for the sins of the children of Israel. It was the highest of the holy days in the children of Israel's calendar. But it began with a personal humiliation because God loves humility because then God can be God in our midst. That's the problem of pride. Pride causes us to individually take the place of God in our own hearts. But when you and I are humbled before the Lord, we say, God, I don't want to drive my own life. I can't even get the thing into gear. Lord, you are God, and I give you first place, and I give you the throne of my life, and I take the cross. See, pride says, I want to sit on the throne. Humility says, I want Jesus to sit on the throne because he is king. And the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was all about that. It was about saying, God, I need you. God, I can't do it on my own. God, I have failed, but you are faithful. So not only do you have the high priest ritual, which gets kind of a slant reference in there, besides the sin offering for atonement in verse 11. But again, you have a burn offering and a sin offering and a grain offering and the idea of the drink offering. No, notice that. You have your meat, you have your carbs, you have your liquid. And what else are we missing in there? 
And the vegetables, who needs your vegetables? No, I'm just good. But the idea was this is a fellowship meal. You're setting a fellowship meal. Because you know what it's like when someone comes over your house. It's like you don't just stick in front of them like, oh, here's my leftover enchiladas from last week. It's like you put like there's some protein and there's some carbs in there unless you're carb free or whatever. And you got your drink. It's like it implies the idea of a friendship meal, a fellowship meal. So you have the offerings for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, in verse 12, we get the offerings for the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. So notice, the first one was on the first day of the seventh month. Yom Kippur is on the 10th day. And now in verse 12, on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the second day, present twelve young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offerings with its grain offerings and their drink offerings. Verse 20, and on the Third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, and for the lambs, for their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings. Verse 23, on the fourth day, present 10 bulls, 2 rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one kid of the goats has a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offerings, and its string offerings. Verse 26. On the fifth day, present 9 bulls, 2 rams, and 14 lambs. It's like almost like a 2 turtle doves and a partridge and a pear tree. Anyway, sorry. All that repetition was tweaking out my ADD a little bit. Sorry. So where were we? We're in verse 27. And their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, verse 28, one goat as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering. It's grain offering and it's the drink offering. Verse 29, on the sixth day... Present eight bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year and without blemish, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings. Verse 32. On the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance, also one goat as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings. On the eighth day, verse 35, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do 
no customary work. You shall present burnt offering, an offering made by fire, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offering for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. And also one goat as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Okay, so... I neglected to tell you the potential prophetic fulfillment of Yom Kippur. As I was going through all those repetitions, I remember that. So if we are going to impose that, a lot of people would say that the prophetic fulfillment of Yom Kippur is when the children of Israel, who by and large culturally have rejected the Messiah, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Messiah. You have like Zechariah chapter 12 in places where it said they will look upon him whom they pierce and they will rejoice for him as one rejoices for a lost child. And so the idea of in the last days, before the return of Jesus, there will be a revival amongst the people who are ethnically Jewish. And the Apostle Paul seems to devote three chapters to that, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, talking about what do we do with the children of Israel who have rejected Jesus. And Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all Israel will be saved. Go read it. It's very, it's a very powerful set of chapters. Most people get focused on the, on the idea of the doctrine of salvation in that chapter, things like election, and all that is in there. But really, it's really about if the gospel is great, what about God's chosen people who have rejected it? That's why it's there. It's like, what do we do with the people who've rejected Jesus? And what is God's plan? And those are there before it gets into chapters 12 and following, which is great look at Christian ethics. What does a Christian actually look like? So Yom Kippur becomes a prophetic fulfillment of the children of Israel coming and putting their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, The Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, was a commemorative feast for a reminder to the people about their journey in the wilderness. So literally, the children of Israel, even to this day, people who are more observant, orthodox, as opposed to reformed, they would literally put up a little booth in their backyard, and they would spend the entire week sleeping, kind of camping out in the backyard. Literally, that's why it's called Tabernacles, or booths. And my friend Michael, who I was studying with, They had us over for a Feast of Tabernacles meal, and literally we're sitting in their backyard in this makeshift booth, and we're talking about the story, and I'm saying, hey, well, you know, from the New Testament perspective, it means this thing and this thing, and it was really, really fascinating. And so you can imagine for the children of of Jewish families, imagine all of a sudden in the middle of the fall, mom and dad are like, okay, we're going to go build our booth in the backyard. Well, mom and dad, why'd you do that? Well, let me tell you about our history. Long, long ago with Moses, they tell the whole story of Egypt and the way God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. So it was meant to remind them year in and year out of God's faithfulness. Why do you think that's important? Because for most of us, we doubt God's faithfulness in the present because we forget how faithful God has been in the past. How many times when you start worrying about something that all of a sudden the thought pops into your head or someone says to you, listen, God's been faithful this far. We've been down this road before. I was just talking with someone on our staff about that today. We were talking about struggling to trust God in certain situations. Like, man, God reminded me I've been down this road before. God's been so faithful. We need reminders of how faithful God has been because God's faithfulness in the past will give us hope in our present needs. 
And so the the commemoration of God's provision for the children of Israel is this Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we have, notice, it's on the 15th day, no customary work. It's a seven-day feast. And notice, on every single day, there is all these different offerings. And the one thing that you did notice is that there seems to be a daily diminishing of the very first offering mentioned, the young bulls. So you have 13, and then you have 12, you have 11. Someone's bound to ask why, and the answer is, I don't know. It's just, there's all that. I'm like, what about this? And I played with all these different ways to interpret it. I read a lot of different people about it. Everyone has, most people just don't even comment on it. They just pretend like it's not there. But it's like each day there's one less. And so to be honest with you, I don't really know why it is in there. And I'll be honest with you, certain things about what God does and how he does it, I don't understand it at all. But God never asked me to understand everything. He just asked me to trust him and obey. And I wonder if sometimes God asks us to do something just because he knows that obedience is a muscle and that we have to exercise it. See, you think about the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden has only one prohibition in it, right? You can eat of everything you want, it says, but except this one tree. Now, you could say, well, why did God put that one tree in there? I mean, if God just left that thing out, things would have been honky-dory, you know, been great but it's in there. And there's one prohibition because I believe God knows that we need to choose him. He's given us, created in his image, the ability to choose. And we simply need to, let me say it this way. If you don't understand it, obey it anyway. If you can understand everything about God, then he's not God because we're finite and God is infinite. We are not knowing all that good or stuff. And God is all knowing. And so we need to learn how to be obedient. I don't know why there was a graduation in the bull offering day by day. It's 13 one day. It's 12 the next day. It's 11 the next day. I don't know why it's in there. But the key for us is that we just need to simply obey. We need to say, God, you know better than me. How many of us as parents wish our kids would say, mom, dad, you know better than me. I'll just do what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how God feels about us, my friends, right there. That God wants us to say, okay, Lord, that's what it says. I'll do it. And I don't understand why, but I don't understand a lot of things. So I'm just going to obey. And I believe that God has given us his spirit to continue to check our hearts so that we would be obedient. When was the last time God gave you a check about an area of disobedience? That's proof that you're God's child, because whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines. I know for some of us, we've had parents who were angry in their discipline, harsh in their discipline. So the idea of God loving us and chastening us is a challenge. But God doesn't do it because he's angry. God does it because he loves us that much. I like to say God does it, he loves us too much so that We don't hurt ourselves. And I do that as a parent with my kids. I say, you can't do that, not because I don't want my kids to have fun. I want them to have a ton of fun. I just don't want to have anyone end up in the hospital. And some of us make decisions that have very dire consequences. And God says, look, I don't want you to do I don't even want you to think about doing that because that ends in a bad place. You're hurting yourself when you do that. But many of us are like, well, no, I want to do it. God, why are you not being fun? No, God is super fun. He's the most fun person you'll ever meet. But he loves you too much to let you hurt yourself. It'd be like, imagine if my son Obadiah 
Imagine if he went into the garage and he found the, uh, the nail gun. You know, and he's a little dude. So like, be like, yeah. And imagine if he was sitting there with Annabelle, my little 18 month old. Like, Annabelle, look at this thing. And I'd be like, oh yeah, it's fun. Yeah, just shoot her, man. Just shoot her. Yeah. Is that a good thing? No, that's nuts. I love my kids. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to Obadiah to end up with a staple piercing in his hand or something. That's no good. So you take it away. Like, oh, dad, you're no fun. Yeah, but you don't want to end up with a staple in you or a nail in you. See, that's the way it is with obedience with the Lord. There's things in the Bible that seem like they would be fun, but they're not fun because they hurt us or they hurt other people. They dishonor God. They demean who we are as people. And it brings a curse into the world. So for you and I, we need to learn obedience. And obedience is a muscle that we exercise. I think for some of us today, you need to ask God for forgiveness for all of your disobedience, for all the things that you know you're not supposed to be doing, but you're doing it. You did it today. You did it yesterday. You're planning on doing it later today. You need to say, God, will you give me the faith of a child to be obedient. I don't understand why, and I really like doing that thing, but God, if you're telling me not to do it, I won't do it. The Feast of Tabernacles, every single day for seven days. So you realize that there's no customary work, so they didn't do any work for a whole week. That's nice, isn't it? They had one week off to camp with their families. Ain't God good? Amen. Now, What would be the prophetic fulfillment for the Feast of Tabernacles? It talks in the book of Revelation about when the Antichrist rises up. Now, again, I realize when I bring up the book of Revelation that there are numerous interpretive grids for the book of Revelation. And depending on which grid you take, you interpret the material in very specific ways. Now, no matter what Christian tradition you were raised in, Every one of them, if they even talked about the book of Revelation, gave you one of, a, one of what can be a number of ways to interpret the book of Revelation. And the key for you is to realize that whatever it is that you think about the book of Revelation, there's about probably four or five other ways to interpret it that are equally biblical and valid. It just takes it from a different angle. Okay, so I'm going to put that out there. When you start talking about the Antichrist and I realize that there's about five different main interpretations and about a thousand different not well-known interpretation of who the Antichrist is and how this all works. But really what it says is that the rise of the Antichrist will also bring a time of persecution against the people of God, right? And that persecution that they're going to be driven out into the wilderness where God is going to sustain them. And a lot of people would say that the prophetic fulfillment before the return of Jesus is that there will be a almost a return to the wilderness for the people of God where God provides for them and blesses and protects them against this enemy of the church who the book of Revelation and other places called Antichrist. So that would be the prophetic fulfillment of that. Now, look at how this chapter, and really it's this section because chapter 28 and 29 go together. It says in verse 39, These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts beside your vowed offerings and your freewill offerings as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings as your drink offerings and your peace offerings verse 40 so Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord commanded Moses Jesus is 
Pastor Daniel today showed us how God used yearly feasts to remind the Israelites of his faithfulness to them throughout their time in Egypt and in the wilderness. We also saw again how God had a plan for Jesus long before he actually appeared on earth. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel. Have you ever asked yourself, what is this life really all about? How shall I live? See, these are life's most important questions. Jesus invites us to follow him on a journey of discovering the art of living. And he gives us the answers to these questions. I'm stoked to share with you my newly released book where you can learn how to live an abundant life by living upward, inward, and outward through loving God and loving yourself and loving others. I will unpack the keys to a life that overflows with blessing. So here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. This is exciting news. Pastor Daniel's new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, is not currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else. Pastor Daniel would like to offer a special pre-released signed copy of his book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner from the main menu. There you can give your gift. And again, as a thank you, we will send you a special pre-released signed copy of Pastor Daniel's upcoming book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel talks about vows, a part of the communication between the people of Israel and God. We'll learn why these vows were significant for them and how they apply to our prayer life today. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. 